This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 29. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 29 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon. Hello, Lynn. So today we're speaking with Larry Altman, co-author of Bullying to Sexual Violence, Protecting Students and Schools Through Compliance. Larry currently works as a consultant for schools, helping them develop legally compliant policies, protocols, and procedures for Title IX, anti-bullying, student suicide prevention, Section 504s, and the Individuals with Disabilities Act. He's also a distinguished member of the American Law Society. In addition, Larry is an adjunct professor at Avila University, located in Kansas City, Missouri, and for Ottawa University, located in Overland Park, Kansas. So welcome to the show, Larry. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're excited uh, after reading your book. This is definitely uh, information that as school leaders, um, we may not be the most adept at. So this should be an interesting conversation to learn more uh, about the kinds of things you're talking about in your book. And most importantly, now that um, we have a new administration in Washington or a newer administration in their in their second year now, and how things have changed in this area. So looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that and helping to educate us a little bit. So let's start the conversation with the big idea behind your book. So what motivated you and your co-author to write the From Bullying to Sexual Violence book? And uh, what was that big idea that that compelled you to to put this forward? There were really two things. The, uh, the, pr- the prior administration had published uh, in, ni- in 2010 its first Title IX directive uh, regarding sexual harassment. Uh, but then uh, four years later, on April 29th, President Obama, in a press conference in which he was extremely angry, really, did you see this from him? He had received information from the Department of Education that 53 major universities around the country had been ignoring rapes on campuses. Mm-hmm. And some of those had led students to taking their life, victims. So my colleague, Steve Cohen, and I, uh, uh, and, and it's interesting, we're both on like totally different political spectrum. He's ultra conservative. I consider myself a John Kennedy, Harry Truman Democrat. But we both believe that it was time to let schools know that, uh, that they needed to take this topic seriously. And so we combined our efforts to create the book based upon the motivation, because even though we were dynamically different politically, we agreed that there is no room on campuses for sexual harassment of any kind. 
and, and, and of course, sexual violence of any kind, that, that campuses, including the K through 12, it was unacceptable. So uh, I was already, had just finished my time as an administrator of the Kansas City, Missouri Public Schools, uh, was starting to consult, and I said, it's time to write a book. So let's talk about the structure of that book that you've developed and some of the resources um, that you provide in the appendix as, as we get ready to jump into some of the content. The appendix uh, is, is, has refer references, materials. Uh, we, we've, uh, Steve has created a business called Integra Ed, which is a software program uh, that helps schools um, keep track of the investigations. So let's go back in time a bit. When the Obama administration came out with the directive, uh, it, it, it indicated that the Title IX coordinator, which I had just been appointed to be that by my superintendent, needed to keep very careful track of every investigation uh, and complaint regarding any allegations of sexual harassment, including sexual violence. Um, so it became, we were a 16,000 student school district, uh, although I had a team it still was impossible paper-wise to track it. So Steve created, with the help of some, his son, who's a brilliant computer guy, Andy Cohen, a software that, that uh, was in its first stages. And so that's something that we ended up adopting at KCPS. And it helped us to um, help me monitor the situation of any investigation. I could track to everyone because what the, at that time, the Office of Civil Rights was being very aggressive. So that was part one. Uh, the other information back there was, was that the 2014 directive was very, very intense. And so what we've done in the appendix is basically given schools a roadmap that may no longer work today, but certainly worked back then. And then the third part where you see the mental health component chapter, how that came about is that as a school attorney, there's an organization called the National School Board Association. It's, it's, it's uh, called the Council of School Attorneys. We're a subcommittee of that group. Um, and so they will ask for papers to be published nationally in what they call their inquiry and analysis. And I suggested that mental health was a major component because I had read sections of the Sandy Hook report. And so the basis of that article at the back end on the mental health component was really a hybrid of an article that I wrote that was published nationally that discusses the... Uh, the, the requirements schools have when there is a student who has significant mental health issues. And after what happened two weeks ago in Florida, uh, I think we have seen again that, uh, that I wonder, we, and I'm not criticizing anybody. I keep wondering, I think the adults dropped the ball there mm -hmm. and not viewed the young man there who had significant mental health issues. Their, their answer was, let's just expel him. And then here's the outcome. So that was the purpose of the last chapter. That's the resource guide. Yeah, and it, uh, from looking through the book too, that that was a very rich. Uh, I was when I went came across that last appendix section, I was like, wow, look at mm -hmm. all these resources, and that's you know, as school leaders, time and things like that was something that I felt I could really dig into. But let's go back. You mean you mentioned a comment earlier about how much is relevant today. So if I'm a school administrator, reading through your book and getting to these uh, resources at the end. How much is relevant um, to to the work that we do now? Well, in September of last year, the current administration um, specifically withdrew the April the 2010 
and 2014 Title IX directives completely. So they're gone. Mm -hmm. So, and then they issued a couple of pages of what some summaries of things they expected schools to do and with a promise of details later. So what occurred was that is that they changed a few things right away. Uh, number one uh, is that there's no training anymore requirement. Under the Obama rules, students and staff had to have periodic training. Mm. The current rules do not require that. Um, in addition, uh, they made some other changes. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I as, as, as am concerned about was <clears throat> that under the prior administration, the rule was that when you conducted an investigation, if the evidence was 50.1% supporting the complainant, that was it. The, 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 it was confirmed. The options given now is that you can go to that level or you can go to a higher level asking that the complaining party basically has to prove it by 70%. And I understand. And the reason they gave for this is that they had received complaints that, that, that alleged perpetrators were not given due process. And they said what was happening is that schools automatically would get a complaint and then they said, the, it's good, we're, we're done here, the, it's all, all of it's true without an investigation. The problem I have is that if you read the Obama rules, is that there was due process in there. That means those schools were still not following what they were supposed to do. In fact, there's a case study in my book, our book that says, here's what happens when you don't follow the rules. Mm -hmm. So that was a made-up story, in my opinion. That's just telling me as is that somebody wasn't following what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what creates these federal regulations. I'm not a fan of them, but what and, and I, I seem to run into this all the time with my students, with other colleagues. Why do we need federal regulations? Well, because 53 universities mm -hmm. around the country decided to ignore it. Right, didn't do anything. And, and didn't do anything. And then you have a student in the University of Missouri, a student in the University of Kansas, uh, a high school student in Ohio, die by suicide. And it was directly re related to the fact that nobody did anything about a sexual harassment claim. Mm -hmm. So now there's only one authority that can make everybody do it. And so, so even if 95% of the superintendents do their job, it's those 5% that bring that bring the rocks on our heads. Right. I'm not thrilled about that, but that's what happens. Yeah. So let's go from the appendix to the uh, chapter three, where you have this readiness protocol. So is it still good practice for us to go through that protocol? Or you know, what would your suggestion be? We've got your book. This protocol looks like a really awesome checklist for us to figure out where we stand in terms of compliance. Should we still do that? Or are there modifications to it? No, you should still do it because... The ultimate goal, and, and, and if you notice in one of my footnotes in the book, I referenced to something called the Baldridge model. Baldridge is a training model of developing, it's a methodology of creating policies, protocols, and procedures. And the phraseology that they use, and, and Baldridge was created back in the 80s by the Reagan administration as a business tool, but it has been adapted over, adopted over the years for all sorts of industry. And it's an organizational tool that requires you to do four components. It, it's called IGO, I-G-O-E, input, guidelines, output, enablers. Output is also called goals. So what the checklist does is it puts schools through the process. If, you're, if you two are the superintendents of school A and I want to create 
whatever it might be, I want to protect students from sexual harassment and or sexual violence and bullying. And I'm starting from ground zero. I want to go through the checklist to see what we have now, because that's part of the data you need to gather to create whatever you're going to call as your policies, protocols, and procedures. So when I talk to my graduate students, uh, we talk, it's, it's done in an inverted triangle. The first thing we establish, the lowest part of the triangle is the output or the goal. What is the goal? The goal for these cases is to make your educational environment safe and welcoming so students can be educated. It is not compliance. That's a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once you've got that as the goal, go to the top and you have to have input from the stakeholders. And so those checklists that you have there helps you gather the information that your specific school district might need to help create the second part of the triangle, policies, protocols, and procedures, also known as guidelines. So I'm a big believer of that. And as I said, when I talk to my graduate students, uh, we spend weeks in the classroom. Uh, there, I give them a choice the first day. There's a textbook or there's me, the real world. What do you want to do? <laughs> the answer for my students, let's do real world. And we will sit down and we will take a project that interests them. And if I've got, if I got two groups, I'll break them. And we will work on how to use that checklist to using what we know as I teach to create the policy protocols and procedures. So looking at that checklist and um, sort of determining readiness and answering the questions that you articulate in Chapter 3, where, do, where are some of the areas that schools fall short? I think where they fall short is they don't, when they go in and have their meetings and bring in the input, they don't bring in the proper stakeholders. And by that, I mean mm -hmm. is you've got to have total inclusiveness when you create your, your guidelines. So to illustrate, uh, in 2016, the state of Missouri rewrote its anti-bullying statute to make it more comprehensive. The Missouri Department of Education honored me by saying what I joined the task force and then asked what I chair it. Well, <laughs> and the answer is yes. So if I'm going to chair it, what did I do? I walked into this with using this book with the guidelines. But the first thing I, after we got by the goal is that where the failure was is that they didn't have everybody there who were stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Who do they usually miss? Well, we know we need superintendents. We know we need teachers. We know we need principals. We should have counselors there if we're talking in this field and probably the nurses. But who are the two people that they didn't have up there with me that day? Parents and students. Yes. <laughs> and they go, well, I'm a parent. No, no, I don't want you to be in two capacities. I want parents who are not here as the therapist or the counselor or as the teacher, because by gathering everybody together, so the hard, one of the hardest, not hard, but you have to really think who are those stakeholders. And as a school system, the quote, the customers, if you will, and this comes back to the Reagan format, the customers are the, actually what? The parents and the students. Mm -hmm. So you have to have them involved. So again, that's the checklist purpose is that you want to bring that group in using this guideline or whatever you want to use. This is not gospel, mm -hmm. but you want free flowing information mm -hmm. and you need everybody there who's a stakeholder because when you drop down to the, the next the last thing, the enablers, if you don't have a total buy-in, this isn't going to work. How do you get a buy-in? Every group has been represented. And if a teacher says, well, I wasn't there. No, but you had two of your colleagues there who helped us develop mm -hmm. this. Oh, it's amazing how that works. Mm -hmm. 
So then into the second and third sections of the book, you share potential what could happen and documented case studies. And um, as leaders, how can these case studies help us in K-12 under education? Um, how can they help us understand what to do and, and what not to do in these um, potential violations? Well, what the case study shows, again, under the, is that it, it shows that here are schools that often did not have in place what I call the, the policy protocols and procedures and found themselves at odds with either a federal agency or a federal district court judge. They're learning tools. They're warnings. And you have a second player here. Yes, you have the administrative agencies, but who's become very active in this area now, even very conservative federal district court judges who are not happy when cases come before them in which there's a significant bullying issue and the school basically doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've read cases from the most conservative federal judges in the country saying, wait a minute, what are you guys thinking about? What, what, what the case studies will show is that one, I, I need schools. I, what I, is that the key is, having a mechanism so students can freely and parents can freely get to somebody and saying, here's my problem. And what the federal judges want to know is how quickly did you respond? And three, was it effective? Mm -hmm. But here's the, what, what I remind administrators, this goes all the way back to the United States Supreme court. The United States Supreme court back in the eighties said that, that the federal court system is not a system of educators. We leave that to the administrators because administrators know how to run schools. What we're asking them to do is run their schools. So you get some freelance there, as long as you follow your policies, protocols and procedures consistently, and you don't ignore or turn your back on these complaints. Mm -hmm. So that's the purpose of, of the case studies. It shows you what not to do. Mm -hmm. So what I go to my students when we, when we head back using these, and, and now they're even more that I've got now out there, I will put this on the board saying, okay, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think about this school? How do you think they, how do you think they did here? Mm -hmm. And by the end, you do this at the beginning of the term, you'll do it at the end of the term and think, oh my gosh, what were they thinking about? Well, that was the problem. <laughs> they weren't there was no thinking involved. So in our, in our little 30 minute podcast here, can you choose one of those case studies and give us a, a little two, three minute lesson of something that we could leave with that would be um, a really good learning Yes, I thought about that. And, and the case that I think is on page 75 of the book, which is the autistic student in the elementary arena. I bring this case to you because, first of all, I knew all the lawyers involved and I knew the judge involved for the case. And this is a, a, a case study that would show what not to do in every circumstance. And that was that you had an elementary student who did not communicate well, and yet reported issues to the counselor who took it upon the counselor's part to try to resolve the issue by having this little child confront her perpetrator with the perpetrator's dad in the room. Hmm. And they thought that would fix the problem. And then lo and behold, during winter break twice, this child tried to a kill herself and kill her parents and family. Hmm. And then the result was when the child came back to school and was told about it, their answer was, well, we'll just homeschool her. It is the absolute worst case. Mm. It is everything that you could do yeah. wrong, done it wrong. Did wrong. <laughs> and so right wow. now, as I look at that case, and I look at what happened at Sandy Hook, 
and I look at what happened in Florida, the parallels are incredible. Mm. The school district knew that the child had significant problems of anxiety because she had been assaulted. Yet the school's answer was either A, eh, we don't need to tell the parents, we'll figure this out on our own, and B, we'll just send her home. She can be homeschooled the rest of the year, and then we don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's everything wrong. Even in today's administration, I believe that they would say that was wrong. Right. So, so that's the case that I would bring out and say, read that case. Mm-hmm. For, the, for, the, for the case note of how to do things wrong, that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. So learn from the negative. So we talked a little bit about the changes that were created um, and the withdrawal of the prior Title IX directives. Is there anything else that you want to share with us about what we should be doing in schools, um, sort of big picture ideas or things to consider um, from your book and from your personal experience? Yes, you still, even though the Title IX directives have somewhat been diminished, you still have the bullying requirements in your public school system. Mm -hmm. And bullying can cover and does in some states covers sexual harassment. It's a form of bullying. So you still have to be vigilant. Uh, That hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I remind administrators is, is that you need to not ignore these cases. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean every case that shows up on your table is a, is a finding of, quote, guilt. Absolutely not. As a Title IX coordinator and as a, in charge of the bullying investigations, I didn't rubber stamp every investigation. I found not a lot of them, but I found that they weren't founded. It wasn't at that level. But I documented it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, then what I think, and, and I'm actually working on this now, is I'm probably going to rewrite some of this section on the mental health component especially after what happened in Florida a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm working with a professor at the University of Missouri in Columbia, and we are talking about something called bystander effect. Mm. What that is defined as is students who observe something and don't report or do report. And the medical studies indicate that bystanders can develop anxiety, depression, mental health issues that sometimes schools are going to have to account for as we move down the road. Not in every case, but certainly in some times. One of the things that I'm going to add into the paper is I happen to think, and I can't remember the number of students in that Florida building, but I've got to believe that every student in that building has been traumatized. Mm-hmm. So think of the responsibility under the mental health components of federal law, what that school is now going to be obligated to do, mm. because I've got to believe that the number of PTSD students there. It's huge. That's huge has been huge. And if you look at the federal case law out there and you look at some of the regulations, even though I understand it's bullying, I understand it's, it's suicide materials, but the impact of the mental health component is that these children were traumatized and some of them will be very resilient and won't need it. I've got it. But I, if I'm the administrator of that building right now, and I, I, as I said, I can't, I believe it was a couple thousand students. Mm -hmm. I, if I was the Title IX bullying and all that other stuff at that school, I would recognize I have an almost impossible task now. I have to monitor every student in that building to determine whether or not because of PTSD and depression and anxiety, I have created a gigantic number of students who now have qualifying disabilities. Wow. And that's really, to me, and I bet you no one's, I don't know, I won't say this, I thought of it. And that's what we're going to, I'm adding, when I work with what paper we hope to get published, we're going to discuss that. Mm-hmm. I think it has created, they haven't even thought of that problem. 
but it's something that I've thought about. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly complex times that we live in. And, and even the issue that you're talking about here with mental health is really emerging to the surface now in more prominence as the result of you know, current events and the things that are happening in our world. So this has been a really interesting conversation to sort of, you know, our, our, and our lives as administrators are, you know, moving quite quickly. And so um, I think this will be very helpful for our listeners to have heard this and at least decide for themselves whether it's something they want to dig into a little bit further and, and hone their skills in this area. Uh, Larry, you mentioned that you, you want to do a, with your colleague another update on the paper in terms of mental health. What else is next for you other than that? Well, I'm also doing some work with the ACLU in the Kansas City area. One of the concerns that I had as an administrator, and when I say an administrator, I was in the legal department, uh, is that there, there were significant data to support that if you were a student of color or a disabled student, you're, you're, uh, the discipline handed out to you for various things was much uh, more significant than discipline handed out to Caucasian students. Mm. And the ACLU has already filed litigation in various states to attack racially motivated discipline policies. Uh, I am working with the ACLU because when, when I was in Kansas City Public Schools at that time, Dr. Stephen Green was the superintendent. He was invited to the White House along with other superintendents by President Obama to discuss the problem. When he got back, my first directive was uh, review what's out there and give them a summary of how we should approach this topic. So the ACLU got a hold of that. And so we, I am now working with them in the Kansas City metropolitan area to do that. I still continue to teach as an adjunct, which I love, and uh, get to play with my grandson once in a while. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, Larry, and help Randy and I better understand um, this important topic and hopefully some other leaders across the country as well. To, to learn more about Larry's work, you can check out his book, which is linked in the show notes, um, and uh, enjoy some of the resources, rich document there that Randy and I have both enjoyed. Yes, definitely check it out. So each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, what have you learned about legal compliance and how it applies in your context? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 29. And that's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Larry. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.